This morning, I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the fullness of the Spirit. It is one of those topics, those um, ideas that we know is in the Bible, we're commanded to be filled with His Spirit, but it's one of those topics that is often surrounded with a certain amount of mystery. I know for myself, throughout my Christian life, I've danced around that idea. I know that it's really, really important, and, and yet trying to figure out exactly what it is and how to experience it. Uh, is sometimes mysterious, but I would put forth, I think we try to sometimes make things more mysterious than they really are. I would simply define being filled with Jesus' Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, as being full of the joy and the strength and the sense of freedom that comes when we spend time with Christ. Right? It's the joy, when the joy of the Lord is, is our strength, it's the joy and the strength and the freedom that comes as we spend time with Christ. We've been talking about what it means to abide in Christ. John 15, he gives this beautiful and powerful metaphor that I think is at the center of the Christian life and, and, and is attached to this idea of being full of His Spirit, abiding in Christ. This image of the vine and the branches connected together, of the life of the vine flowing into the branch, supporting its life, right? And that's at the core the center of this whole metaphor, isn't it, is that the life of the vine gives life to the branch. It flows in and supports it. Faith is that instrument which connects us to the vine. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we've been talking about abiding in his word and abiding in, his pra- in him in prayer and abiding in his love that comes to us and we experience as we're in his word and with him in prayer. And so we know and experience and, and abide in the love that he has for us. But if faith is the way into this relationship, abiding in Christ, then the fullness of the spirit, I believe, is the result of abiding in Christ, in word, in prayer, in his love. come to his word, we're in John chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read from verses from verse 4 up to verse 7, but I'm really just going to talk about verse 7, uh, and to come out of there and to unfold in the New Testament, and hopefully it's um, not straying too far afield from what Jesus means here. In John 16, verses 4 through 7, hear then the word of God. Jesus says, but I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going. I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. It is for your advantage that I go away for the, if I did not go away. The helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this morning as your church. And I know that for myself, my longing is to be filled with your spirit. And to walk in that fullness day by day. So Father, as we spend some time in your word together, we long for you to speak to us of these things that you would do more than communicate information to our hearts, but that you would capture our imaginations afresh, that you would draw us near to yourself, and that you would fill us with your spirit. 
and that you might teach us even more what it means to walk with you day by day. For we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we remember, Jesus and his disciples are still in the upper room. Jesus has gathered them on the night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, his trial and crucifixion. He has been spending this intensive time with them, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of the book of John, imparting to them all the things that he wants to tell them. You know, his marching orders and the last instructions you need to understand is, I go away, and as there is this separation that you need to know. And then he prays for them, he prays over them. And in the midst of all of this, I think central to all of this importance is, is I leave you and as you go to live the Christian life, to walk with me and, and advance the kingdom in the world, central to this understanding is he says, you need to understand I am the vine and you are the branches and apart from me you can do nothing. And flowing out of that, you know, as he tells them I'm, I'm leaving, his disciples are rightfully distressed. Right? They're rightfully upset. Separation is hard. If you've lost a loved one, you know that, it, that, it's, that it's hard, that there is a loss, and they're confused as they've walked with him. And so we're told, uh, you know, as he says this in verse 6 particularly, he says, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. You're upset about this. I understand that. But he says in verse 7 something that is truly surprising, that would have shock them, that they're going to have to take some time to wrap their minds around and to understand. All right, he says in verse 7 that it is to your advantage, and he prefaces it with that, I tell you the truth. Right, this is, you know, you, you may find it hard to, to believe it at first, but I'm telling you the truth, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go, when I go, Helper will come to you. I will send him to you. My leaving is to your advantage. I know when those words probably tripped off Jesus' lips when he first said them to those guys, you know, their first thought is, how can that possibly be? What? You know, how could you say that? We want you to stay with us. We want to be with you. We don't want to lose you. We love you. We love walking with you. This has been the best three years of our lives. You've changed everything. The world is topsy-turvy. You know, and there are real advantages to his earthly ministry. It's a huge blessing, his presence. You know, how many times I've heard believers say, and even perhaps in my own heart, or maybe you've even said, you know, the whole thing, of if only Jesus were here. Right? If I could only see him, if I could only touch him. Right? If I could just hear him teach these things. If I could sit at his feet like Mary and just and have, you know, not pastor so-and-so, but have Jesus. Teach us, right? If I, if I could see his miracles, if I could just see a couple of miracles, that, that's it. My doubts would flee away. You know, this whole thing would be settled. If only Jesus were here. Jesus says, no, I tell you the truth. It's better. It is for your advantage that I go. That I go to the cross and that I rise to the right hand of the Father because when I go, I will send the Helper to you. I will send the Holy Spirit. My ministry through the Holy Spirit will be greater, not less. It will be more effective, not less. You know, how many people could get near to Jesus during his earthly ministry? 
you know, all the stories, all the stories that you tell, just as he walked around Palestine, and he was quite finite in his existence, he had a body, he was only in Palestine, he was one place at a time, and as he went around, there was always masses of crowds that, that spread out in fields or were chasing him around lakes or when he was healing, and it says, you know, one time that he was at Peter's house and they lined up at the door and they were crowded at the door and he, and he healed them and cast out demons until the sun went down and the lines, you know, dissipated. Or other times he's teaching and it says that they crowded out into the outside the doors where they were tearing holes in the roof to try to get near to Jesus. Just imagine a, a worldwide church of hundreds of millions of Christians. Jesus says it's to your advantage, right? Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. And in a very real sense, this way, we do, right? That's what he's saying. Imagine, you know, this worldwide church of hundreds of millions of Christians. Jesus says back in John 14, a couple chapters ago, it's there in your bulletin too. It says, the spirit of truth, you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you, right? I will leave you not as orphans, but I will come to you. So all of you, you won't have to gather at my door, tear a hole in the roof, chase me around the lake. He says, I will come to you. I will come to all of you. I will be in you. I will be with you. And so the reality, this reality that Jesus is talking about, this advantage that that he says is ours and is going, the reality of the indwelling spirit of Christ is really the the central mystery of the Christian religion, of the Christian faith, this this reality that that though Jesus has gone and he has done what he did for us on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, to make us right with God, and that he ascends from there to the right hand of the Father, and that he pours out his spirit on his people. Spurgeon says, it's there in your bulletin, the presence of the Holy Spirit makes Christ accessible to every saint at all times. Not a few choice favorites, but to every believing man and woman, the Holy Spirit is accessible. And thus the whole body of the faithful can enjoy a present and perpetual communion with Christ. That would have been unimaginable to the crowds, even that chased him around Judea. And so Jesus says, it's better if I go. Because I will return to you in the presence and in the power of the Spirit of God. And that will change everything. He will change everything. And that's why in Colossians 1, Paul says it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the great advantage that Jesus says that he offers to his people when he leaves. So now when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit comes to dwell, right? This is the thing that we says when we come to Christ... Put our faith in Christ, trust in Him as our Savior, that what He did, He did for me. The love that He has shed, that He has shown, He has shown for me. When we put our faith in Christ, we come to Him. It says He comes to us. That He pours out, that He gives His his Spirit, that He makes us a body. And that's under the second point, 1 Corinthians 12. It says, in one Spirit, we the church, in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And that, that one spirit that baptizes us, right, that comes to us. He says it, that is poured out into our lives. 
This is when the branches, he says, were baptized into one body, were baptized into the vine. This is when the branches become part of the vine and they're grafted in. We come to Christ in faith and he comes to us by his spirit and we are joined to him in a real, living, abiding connection to Jesus. And the life of that vine flows in the life of the branches. Those who know him and love him and walk with him in the life of his spirit. That's the whole point of the metaphor. The life of the vine gives life to the branch. Now, interesting, I would say, is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, though, creates a challenging spiritual dynamic in the, in, in the life of the Christian. And as you read the New Testament, this dynamic just kind of flows across the pages as it talks about what it looks like when you and I walk with Christ and try to live out this new dynamic that he's talking about. Because it changes everything. The coming of the Spirit frees us from the ruling power of sin. That before we knew Christ, sin and doing what we wanted to do and living for ourselves and not caring a whit about God or, or His way or His word. You know, when we lived, we lived under the ruling power of sin, doing what we wanted to do. And he says the coming of Christ in this way into the life of His people sets us free from the ruling power of sin. If you remember last week, I, we, you know, I, I referenced that verse where Paul says, sin shall not be your master. Right, it's that proclamation. That's how it has changed. The coming of the Spirit into your life says, no longer will sin be your master. Because a new power has come. A new king has come. And has set up shop in, 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 on the throne of your life and in the core of your being. The coming of God's Spirit sets us free. We're a new creation. It says, behold, anyone in Christ is a new creation. We have a new spiritual nature. A new inner disposition, a new heart to please God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And all of this takes up and creates a new dynamic into the life of one who has come to faith in Christ. But though we have this new heart to please Him and this new nature, we're not free from the presence and the influence of sin. We're not free from its this old corrupt nature. We're not free from the old self, the old person that we used to be entirely. There's a remaining influence. And the Bible calls that remaining influence again and again throughout the New Testament, that remaining influence of the old nature of sin that still resists this new thing that God is doing, calls it the flesh. It lurks in the dark corners of our hearts, still dogs our steps still seeks to deceive us and to get a hold. And look at Galatians 5, and a lot of you are familiar with this, but he, Paul paints this picture so clearly. In Galatians 5, there in your bulletin under the second point, he says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit. And I think this, this sentence is the key to the Christian. Again, it's one of those that we all are familiar with it, but if we could figure out how to do it. I mean, that's just the core of the Christian life. You walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right, The remnants of that old nature, the remnants of that corruption and that everything that we were and did before we came to know Christ. He says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill those desires anymore. All we need to do is walk in the Spirit. But then he goes on and he says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these two are opposed to each other. 
right? And the desire of the flesh is to keep you from doing the things that you want to do, right? So in coming to faith in Christ, and Jesus says, here's the advantage of my going away, is if you put your faith in me, that I will come to you. I will send the helper, right? And I will come to you. I won't leave you as orphans, and that I will give you a new nature, and you will be a new creation, and you'll have a new heart to please God and to do these things. He's Paul says, you know, even though this new dynamic comes, there are remnants of the old dynamic. There are remnants of that old self. And they're opposed to each other. And there is war. There is war. The flesh seeks to influence and to pressure us to live according to its desires. It still lurks in the corners. And most of you, I've been a Christian for now almost 32 years. You know, and this is one of those things that you can read about in the Bible and you know and you hear that it's true, but it's one of those things that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what he's talking about. You know this war. You know that the flesh, there is that part of you that lurks in the dark corners on your best days. When you've had your best quiet times and have had the best experiences in your Christian life and done things, there lurks in the background. You know, that pressure, that influence to serve the desires of this old way of life, this old self. And at the same time, there is this indwelling spirit, an internal source of the, and and what the Bible says and what we need to understand, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the one who is in you now is this new dynamic, Christ who has come to us in his spirit. is an even greater source of power and influence. And this is one of those things we have to take by faith and go after. That yes, that that dynamic, there is that influence that seeks to drag me down and haunts my stems and lurks in the dark corners. There is a dynamic that has come into my life that is more powerful and more real and more true. This is the advantage that Jesus is talking about. The helper has come. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of this new life that he calls us to. He's not physically present, but he empowers us from the inside, and he has come, and he opposes those desires and those, those other uh, you know, influences that linger in our hearts. He is there to oppose them in his power. He gives a new heart. We're alive to God. But the flesh resists. I wanted to read this passage out of the Westminster Confession. It is one of the statements that guides our church theologically. And it was written in the 1600s. So you've got to read it like you're reading, you know, Shakespeare. You know, so you've got to give it that. Just calm knowing it's going to be a little, uh, you know, archaic that way. But to grasp the, the truths that it's putting out here, it is such, I think, uh, a helpful passage pulling this together. It says, this sanctification... And sanctification is that work where this, the Spirit of God, you know, comes and lives in us to make us more and more, as we walk by the Spirit, become more and more like Christ, like the vine to whom we become attached. So this sanctification, this work is throughout the whole person. It's not perfect in this life because there abides or still remains the corruption of every part of us, right? The flesh lurks in every dark corner. And whence so there arises this continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh, and then he, then he goes to Galatians 5, right? The flesh is lusting against the spirit. The spirit is against the flesh in which war, although the remaining corruptions for a time may much prevail. In other words, it can be quite powerful. 
And if any of you have been under its influence and its sway, you know it can still feel quite powerful. You almost might be tempted to think it is your master. But he says it's not. It is the lie of your enemy. That there is a new life and a new self given to you in Christ. And we believe that he who is in us is greater than the one who lurks in the corners. The light that shines overcomes the darkness. And he says, and though there are times that it may prevail, he says, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ. You know, and we talked about that continual fresh supplies of his grace as we abide in Christ. Right? We need those fresh supplies on a daily and sometimes on an hourly and sometimes every 10 minutes. The flesh, fresh supplies of grace, the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate, the new part, the new person, the new creation overcomes. It wins. God wins. The spirit wins. He is greater. He is at work. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ. And though you used to be slaves to sin, you are no longer so, but you become servants of righteousness. But when we come to Christ, we enter into this continual and irreconcilable. When it says irreconcilable, it means you cannot make peace with this enemy. There is no peace. And so it is a continual because it lingers until the day we die. So we enter into, by just coming to Christ and putting our faith in Him, we enter into a war, an irreconcilable war. And apart from the indwelling power of the Spirit, Jesus says you can do nothing. Right? You can't win this war. You can't defeat this enemy. It's, it's not in you. In fact, it is you. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it's your old you. The enemy is inside the gates, and you can't win this war. You, apart from Jesus, he says, this new self that is Christ-likeness and godliness and the fruits of the Spirit and all of who God is, he says, these things, apart from me, you can't win this war and become that person. To win this war, we have to become increasingly free from the influence of the flesh. And to come increasingly under the influence and the power of God's Spirit. As Paul says, we need to, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of that old nature. You will find victory. You will find life. And so Paul says things like, don't quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who's been given to you. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Or he says, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Right, that's Romans 8. It's here in your bulletin. He says, if you live according to the flesh, right, if you live under its, if you keep giving into its influence and, the, and, and its temptation, the things as it comes after you, he says, it's going to kill you. But if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, are the sons of God. Right? The great need is for us to be led by that Spirit. Right? To walk in His Spirit. To be filled with His Spirit. This is the advantage that Jesus is talking about. He says, I'm going away. First to the cross. To win it for you. To win your pardon. To set you free from your sin. It's penalty. 
right? But then I'm going to rise to the right hand of the Father, and that spirit which is given to me, I pour out to you. This is the advantage that he talks about. The helper will come. Your advocate will come. I will come. But here's the thing. After 30 years of walking with Christ, I became a Christian at the age of 18 and have wrestled through my whole life. This is one of those things that for every believer, we wrestle with the remnants, right, of that influence and power of the old self. It dogs us through our lives, and we wrestle with why does it remain, and why do I have to keep fighting it, and where is the victory? And this is the thing we wrestle through. And the longer I've walked with Christ, and the longer I've fought this war, Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my race. The more it becomes clear to me that the fullness that we need to walk in the Spirit is not automatic. Is it automatic for any of you guys if you just go on autopilot and do what you always do and go about your day? Is it automatic? Does that sense of the joy and the strength and the freedom that is ours in Christ rise up in you, producing new resolve and commitment and passion to say no to ungodliness and to live for Christ? Do you wake in the morning and there's this automatic, overwhelming sense of who you are in Christ and who you're going to be today? I find that that is something I find when I get on my knees and spend time with Jesus and nowhere else. It's a result of abiding in Christ. Right? It's, the, it's, it's the result of being with Christ. The power and influence of the old nature is like gravity. See, I find if I wake up in the morning and my first thoughts aren't toward Christ and I don't find time to spend with Christ, there is a gravity that haunts me during the day that pulls me toward the influence and the power of things that I don't want to be. It tugs at us like a current swimming upstream. There is this constant choice to abide in Christ. It's a daily walking with Jesus. It's a daily seeking of His face. It's a daily asking and knocking and seeking so that we find Him and that He does, in in fact, meet us. As Christians, we regularly then fall below, far below our birthright. The advantage that Jesus has for us. The advantage that he promises to us in the fullness of his spirit. The helper who will come and be the victory for us. In us. Through us. You know, when I think of this, I think of uh, the Corinthian church. You know, if you think about the Bible and this, you know, Christians living below their birthright. You know, of all that God has, has designed for them, the Corinthian church, if you read those two letters, they're almost proverbial in the way the Corinthian church was abusing those things and living below their birthright. There are so many problems in that church. And Paul writes to them and he seeks to correct them. And it's interesting. I put one of the passages there in, uh, in your bulletin under the second point. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Going into chapter 3, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. He says, I will come to you, right? I will, I will be with you. I will send him to you. We have the mind of Christ in his word and by his spirit. But brothers, I says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. But I had to address you as people of the flesh, people under the influence of, of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you're not ready for it. 
And even now you're not ready for it, but you're still of the flesh or fleshy or under the influence of the old nature. He says, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving in only a human way? Behaving only in a human way. You know, that phrase strikes me because he calls them brothers and sisters. He says that you are that they are in Christ. They're infants in Christ, but they're in Christ. So these guys are truly believers. He says, but they're infants, they're spiritually immature. He says they're Christians, but they're not living like spiritual people. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? They're Christians, brothers and sisters, in Christ. I couldn't address you as spiritual. Right? You're not living that way. You're behaving only in a human way. Just think about that, how often my default is exactly that, living in a human way, full of myself. It's one of those phrases that has struck me with new power in, in recent months and last years, this whole idea of how often I'm full of myself, how often I'm living in a merely human way, relying on my own strength, relying on my own capabilities, relying on my own power, so to speak. Right? And when we behave in only a human way, when we're full of ourselves and we're thinking of ourselves and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, we lose the advantage. But the advantage that Jesus says is ours, that he gives to us. The advantage is the helper will come. Not that you'll be something. Put your faith in me and then you know, go off and you'll be something. The advantage is I will come to you. The helper will come. The coming of the Holy Spirit enables us not to think and behave in only a human way, in the old way, in the corrupt way, in the way that gravity takes me when I'm not, well, when I'm full of myself, when I'm not full of His Spirit. And so Romans chapter 6, he says this, Paul says, Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Don't let it reign. You, you can, and there are times, he says, even as the confession said, there are times that we are, can come under its sway. We give it, you know, we, we, we come under its influence. But he says you don't have to. Don't let sin reign so that you obey its passions. Don't let the old nature be in charge. Don't listen to its desires. Don't yield to its influence. Do not take it as your master. He says we are free to walk in the Spirit and to not gratify the desires of that old nature. So Ephesians 4, he says, my friends, put off that old self, right, which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt and it's deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, right? Put on this new self in this renewed Spirit of your minds, you know, be full of His Spirit. The joy, the strength, the freedom, the sense of who we are in Christ, the sense of commitment and passion and consecration. Renewed resolve. Renewed commitment. The advantages of having a risen Savior. The advantage of an indwelling Christ. The Christ in us who is the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit who comes in power. You know, it's interesting that the Corinthians thought themselves to be spiritual. 
You read the book of Corinthians as Paul is addressing them, and he has two letters, and I think there's even one more that's lost that we don't have that's referenced in there. And Paul, as he addresses this church in this series of long letters and addressing their issues, one of the things that comes across clearly is this is a group of people who really think highly of themselves. It's a, it's a group of people who think they're very spiritual, that they have stuff going on, that they're all that. And it's interesting how deceived we can be about ourselves. And Paul, it reminds me as Paul is writing to this church that is full of themselves and not full of the Spirit in the way that they need to be and living as infants and, and, and out of the influence of the flesh, that Paul reminds them. It reminds me actually when, when John, who wrote not only the book of John, but the letters of John, but also writes the book of Revelation where he says, uh, in chapter 3, he's writing to the seven churches, and he writes to the churches, uh, touching on the different areas where they uh, need to grow, where they need to have their eyes open, and where he needs to come in afresh is where almost all of them end. In Revelation chapter 3, he writes to the church in Laodicea. It's there under your last point. And he says this. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I, have no, I need nothing. But you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say, I'm rich, I'm prospered, and I need nothing. Makes me think of that Corinthian church who thought they were rich, thought they were all that, thought they were spiritual. It makes me think of my own life in so many ways that I depend on myself, that I think I have what I need, that I can do it, that I depend on myself and so I neglect my Savior. So I neglect to seek the presence and the power of the Spirit. And Jesus says you need to realize and he opens up the eyes of his people. The church, he comes to the church and says that we are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he says, behold, the famous verse that we all know. And I stand at your door and I knock. Right? It's to this church that he says this. Behold, I stand at your door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, will you open the door and I will come in. I will come in and I will eat with him. I will sup with him and he with me. How easy is it for us to be full of ourselves and so not open that door. To just carry on carrying on to do what we do to rely on ourselves. To not be full of the spirit, to not walk in the spirit and so have freedom and victory over the desires of the flesh that haunt our steps. What antidote does Jesus propose? He invites them to come and abide with him. Right? Isn't that what he is saying? As I behold, I stand at the door, knock. He invites him to come and abide with him. Open the door. Right? I will come in. Right? Open the door of your heart and your life, the door of your time. You know, how many marriages does one spouse say to the other spouse, I haven't seen you in a week, or I need time with you. I feel disconnected. I need to... You know, how many times do our kids look at us and say everything, you know, they're, they're obviously vying for our attention. Jesus says, if you will hear my voice, if you will open the door, I will come into your life with a renewed fullness. What we desperately need is on the other side of the door. 
And so I ask you, will you open the door as I think about concluding this whole series? I think that the result of abiding in Christ, abiding in his word, abiding in prayer, abiding in his love, being with Christ. Is the, the result is the fullness of the spirit that is at the heart and center of the Christian life. That if we walk in it, we are free. If we walk in it, we are victors. If we walk in it, we are overcomers. Right? That when we are full of the spirit, we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. When we're not full of ourselves and we're full of him, we think differently. We feel differently. We live differently. And so my challenge to you, my question to you, if you, if you don't already, is, is will you carve out time, daily time, 30 minutes a day? Whether you do it in the morning, before you get ready, after you get ready, carve it out at lunch, carve it out right before dinner or after dinner, before you go to bed, wherever it is, is there time where you would carve out to open up the scripture? get on our knees, to pray, to seek, to ask, to knock, to spend time with him in his word, to cry out to him for his, for the life of the vine to flow into this branch, to flow into this branch and make me the man that you want me to be. Give me the strength that I need to live, to, to love and to give and to be. You take time and consider where are you living under the influence of the flesh? Where are you living is just merely human. And you can tell by the fruit that it brings in the relationships. Where are you living is merely as a human. Where are you quenching the spirit and letting sin reign? Where are you under the influence of the flesh rather than the spirit? Jesus stands up on the last day of the great feast and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he said this about the spirit whom he would send. The advantage that Jesus talks about, a river, a living river of life. Is there anyone here this morning who doesn't long to drink deeply of that cool stream? Anyone who doesn't long deeply for Christ to come in like a flood into our lives and to begin to do that which the word promises, that which we read about and think about but rarely experience. God says the only way to come out from under the power and influence of the old life in the flesh is to come under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Jesus says, come and drink. And there are rivers of living water. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that so often we read your word and we read there things that dazzle our minds, capture our imagination, but escape our experience. We confess that there is so much that we know in our heads that does not touch our lives. We know that there's so much that you say and and call us to and promise that our lives have not conformed to. Father, we know that the great need of our lives is to be full of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by your Spirit, by your Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, to put on a new self, 
being renewed in our minds, in the spirit of our minds. Come near, Father. I pray that this morning you would awaken us and help us to examine ourselves, that we might see where we are full of ourselves and need to repent, that we might find what it is to live in the fullness that is ours in Christ. We ask and pray in Jesus' name.